What's going on, crew? Welcome to Cross Platform, where esports, entertainment, and business connect. So incredibly excited that you guys have decided to join us on this journey. We are going to be having tons of fun guests, tons of fun interaction, talking about some of the more exciting industries on the planet. Again, thank you so much for joining us on Cross Platform. Let's get into it. We are officially we're officially live. Welcome to LinkedIn Live, gentlemen. Hey, thanks, sir. Yeah, I, uh, it's a it's a monumental moment because I forgot to put out my promotion flyer yesterday. So it's great because no one knows who you guys are uh, and who you're with. So it's a big surprise today. But I have the team from Nerd Street Gamers here with me this morning. I've got Danny and Steven. Uh, I'm super excited to have you guys because uh, this, you know, the, the venue space where I started, obviously down in Atlanta. Um, I love what you guys are doing at Nerd Street. And Stephen, we connected back when I was at Axis Replay down in Dallas. Danny, we've spent a lot of time together recently. Um, but for the crowd, for the audience here, why don't you guys go ahead take the opportunity to introduce yourselves and um, we'll, we'll get rocking here. Cool, Terry. Sure. sure. Uh, my name is Steven Chikos. I'm the uh, Vice President of Events and Strategic Partnerships here at Nerd Street. Um, been around the industry a pretty long time now. I would say as a professional, about seven years, but as a player, maybe 17 total now. That's pretty much it. That's it? <laughs> sure. Short and sweet, huh? <laughs> so, uh, I'll, I'll tease it out. Uh, I'm Danny Harvath. I'm a director of business development here at, uh, at Nerd Street Gamers. Um, been in this world for, for just about seven years now, maybe a little bit more uh, from afar. I've you know, been a, been a play, casual player my whole life and seeing this competitive world uh, from afar and it's just gotten closer and closer throughout my career. Um, and uh, been been kind of in, in the thick of it for uh, you know past few years for sure, and then past seven since uh, really since Nerd Street Gamer started and since Frag started, sort of uh, seeing Frag Fragadelphia grow, um, you know, as part of the genesis. Um, uh, you know, so, so my, my background uh, and Steve and I were connected since really the start of Nerd Street Gamers. Uh, Nerd Street Gamers got started at a startup incubator. Uh, you know, can I, I tell the story? Uh, you, know, you probably have a different perspective about how it started. So I'm, I'm interested to hear about um, what, so from my, my view, so I was working at a software development firm here in Philly called Jarvis Innovations. Uh, it was a software consultancy that was also a startup incubator. So it was custom software development, but we would also build software products in-house and see which one of them could grow into their own companies. Uh, and we had you know, one ed tech company, one restaurant tech company. And uh, meanwhile, we were doing community events. Uh, so we were located on North Third Street, looked like Nerd Street. So my, uh, my CEO, John Fazio, and some other tech leaders in, in the company or in, in the, uh, the area on North Third Street started calling themselves Nerd Street as a, as a nickname. It was this growing tech corridor and creative corridor of Philly. Uh, and I was where I started working at Jarvis, heard about Nerd Street, thought it was cool, should be more of a thing. We started organizing community events uh, and it was events of all types. It would be, you know, uh, street cleanups and uh, meditation events and you know, all sorts of different things. Whatever people in the community were passionate about, we would try to give them a space and a forum and support to start those, those events. Uh, and one of those was, you know, my CEO, John, was a gamer and Steve was a gamer. And so we started doing Nerd Street Gamers, just gaming events. Uh, so that's sort of you know the, where it got started. Meanwhile, so this this grew a bit. Uh, we started working with the local neighborhood districts, Old City District Board, and Northern Liberties Neighborhood Association. They ended up 
passing a resolution with city council to officially name the area Nerd Street. No way. Passed it, so now there's street signs up in Philly that say Nerd Street. Uh, they put a tax incentive in place to get businesses to move to the area. Yeah. Which actually led to Linode, who is a sponsor of Nerd Street Gamers in our, our national championship series, moving to the area. So it kind of come, comes full circle. In that in that uh, resolution, they there's some fun things. They or we because uh, you know we, we wrote it uh, officially named Ben Franklin as the nation's first nerd. <laughs> uh, but so so wait. Right. When, when I went to the venue the other day, is that Nerd Street? Was that what I was on? Yeah, yeah, that was Nerd Street. That was Nerd Street. So is it gonna get? Because you guys are moving, right? So is there is it gonna is there gonna be a conflict? Are you gonna change the view of where you're moving? I don't I don't know if we uh, we're supposed to announce that here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of secrets. A lot of secrets. I, I get it. Um, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go, go ahead. So and Stephen, you. You started with Nerd Street and then stepped away and have recently come back, correct? Correct. Yeah, so um, a couple of years ago, uh, I was, I guess the opportunity arose to go work for a publisher. Um, I kind of have a very 360, uh, I guess, vision of esports when it comes to the companies I've worked for. I played for many years professionally. Uh, I always worked as an admin and a contractor for companies like ESL, WCG, name the acronym, I've had a job with them. And um, I worked as a director for a streaming platform competing with Twitch. So I figured publisher was the only thing I've never done. So I wanted to kind of get that vision as well and see what it looks like to be on the other side of the fence. Um, after being there for a couple of years, I've definitely missed um, the speed of a startup. Yeah. So how fast things move here compared to a corporate world it's very different and uh, kind of yearn for that. So when I was at E3 this year, uh, I was toying with the idea. I had a couple of meetings with some of the people over here about Kesha coming back and uh, getting convinced. And then I've been trying to slowly exit from Electronic Arts, uh, but the Madden Championship Series has started for the year. So I spent a couple of months finishing that up and then have made my transition to Nerd Street now. Uh, really happy to be back. Uh, really excited to see what we can do for the future. I uh, definitely missed Philadelphia compared to a Florida venue. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Northeast person, I think, as a, as a personality. So I'm really happy to be home. So really excited to see what we can do in the future. That's awesome. Um, you know, it's uh, you guys have been plastered all over the esports uh, industry news channels lately with your big raise and your work with 76 um, and who you're partnering with. I just I feel like I continuously see Nerd Street content coming out. Um, I, I, I want to get both of you guys' opinion on the current state of competitive gaming from a professional standpoint and then from a casual standpoint, which I know you guys are geared towards, I, I guess, you know, there, I feel like we see there's a lot of attention on pro gaming at the highest level, uh, biggest events, uh, the biggest tournaments, but I think that there is less attention on the on gaming from a casual standpoint, which is, in my opinion, where a lot of the attention should be focused on because that's going to be key to the growth of this industry. So, um, I guess. What are your thoughts on the current state of, of, of gaming from the highest level and then from where you guys operate on the casual um, kind of build, building this industry up level? Yeah, I mean, I can definitely speak to it. Um, so uh, I think the industry has moved very rapidly in the last nine years, I would say, um, post-economy crashing in 2008, 2007, when the CGS was the pinnacle of esports that DirecTV was trying to push. Uh, there wasn't any established, you could call it now, official full-time leagues. Uh, we progressed now in 2019 where we have, across multiple genres, full-time uh, leagues operating through publishers, through third-party, uh, doing a great job of providing a playing space and a place for fame and exposure for the top level. Uh, if you think of esports as a tree, that's kind of where I think of it as. Uh, publishers and the top-tier leagues like ESL, um, ECS do a really good job of 
handling what I call as the tree's leaves and uh, branches, you know, the top of the tree. It's really uh, what's being catered to right now. But esports to me, it will always be the trunk and the roots. I think the trunk and the roots are really the one piece that's not being focused by any organization. Um, I think it's really easy when you play professional sports to know where you came from. So baseball, you know the process. You go to t-ball, you go to the coach's pitching. There's just a natural understanding of how you get from point A to point B. Yeah, uh, esports is really lacking that experience. Interesting. Uh, and I think that is what is needed, especially to grow to that. Everybody says that esports is rising rapidly to overtake some of the professional sports in the next couple of years. I think that can definitely happen, but I think to get there, it needs the infrastructure that is lacking, that it currently needs to progress to that level. Um, I just think until you get families involved in esports at a young age, until you get that experience where a six-year-old goes to camp to get better at video games, and then from there goes to his high school or, or her high school or, or middle school team and goes you know, progresses to that level, we're not going to be anywhere near close to that level until those elements can be there in the system. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I think about, I always refer back to football because that's where I come from, but, you know, it's standard type process for us. It was like, you know, you go to a, you go to a football university camp and then you go to recruiting camps for colleges and you go play for your high school team and then you go to another recruiting camp and try and get into a system and it was just, and then, you know, now I was terrible and I couldn't play in college, but, um, you know, you talk about all these guys in the NFL, you know, guys defer back to the U.S. Army All-America, uh, you know, All-American game and the Under Armour uh, All-American game, right? Those are staples of traditional sports. And I guess there isn't really a, uh, there, there, I, it's just interesting that you say that there's no like clear path, but there should be. I guess, but I think, you know, it's not, it's obviously not going to look the same. Do you have a sense of like what it, what it could potentially look like in five years? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I really do think that having a, if you think of it from a point of view of regionalization. So when esports was on the rise, I would say in the early 2000s, uh, most places had a epicenter for the region to know where the tournaments were. Uh, New York City had a couple land centers, web two zones very well known in uh, lower Manhattan. In like Florida, you had a couple of really larger land centers. In Texas, they had one. In Southern California, NorCal. Uh, you had, in Chicago even, you had places where you would go and you would find out who was the best player in the region. You go from there, they're noticed, and then they find better teams online, and that's how you progress. That was the clear path then. Um, I think the clear path now is gonna be an involvement with high schools and universities. Uh, I think it's gonna be an involvement with the regionalization of these tournaments coming back. So across multiple esports genres, um, from Madden to Counter-Strike to uh, League of Legends, I think you're gonna find these events springing back up when the infrastructure's there. So somebody who, you know, it's easier to tell your parents, I wanna go 30 minutes to go try if I'm the best. It's a little harder to saying I need a nine hour road trip to go find out if I'm the best, plus paying for hotels, plus paying entry fees, et cetera. So I think once you get to that point where if, you know, let's just say if, if I'm a youth in I don't know, the Atlanta area and I want to find out if I'm the best player in the area, there will be easier ways to get in through high school, through middle school. There will be easier ways to get in to find that local hub again. And that's what we're looking, I think, to establish with Nursery, that regionalization, those hubs, and then taking it from that regional to a national scale. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, Danny, from, uh, with that point, I, we talk all the time now. Um, I know you guys are on, you know, up to some really cool stuff. You're looking for unique areas to, to grow. You've just done this big raise with five below. Um, from what Steven said, what is, from what you can share with us, I know you can't share everything, but what is Nursery working on in regards to your growth, in regards to building that scene that, that Steven just uh, kind of touched on? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, a really exciting time uh, for all of us in the industry um, and, and for us here at Nerdstreet Gamers. Uh, the, you know, our focus right now is, so we are, uh, you know, we, we call ourselves an esports infrastructure company uh, focused on building the next generation of competitive gamers. So all those, you know, that problem that Steve just walked through, that's, you know, the problem that we're trying to solve. And we are trying to tell more stories of those amateur gamers that come from our tournaments and, and you know and rise up and, and and give them opportunities to go pro or get a scholarship from a college, 
um, or at least have an entry point into this growing industry that we're also passionate about. And uh, so when we talk about infrastructure, what we mean is uh, facilities, which we call local hosts. Uh, these are, you know, kind of land centers on steroids where you can go and uh, play and practice and compete on the highest quality quality equipment in person, uh, so, you know, social environments around the game and the community that you're passionate about. Uh, so it starts with facilities, local hosts, then it's also events, tournaments, and really just competitive opportunities. Uh, so those are opportunities to, like I said, practice, compete, level up your skills, and then showcase your skills to potentially get recruited by, uh, by college or a uh, so facilities, events, tournaments, uh, and the software to support all of that, to bring people together and help them find tournaments, find teams, find communities, and find uh, in-person you know, opportunities to, to gather uh, and, and join with their community. Uh, so, so, yeah, go on. If I could just ask a quick question, you know, you have the physical space right now. You guys are up to four? Yeah, so we got Philly, Denver, local is Philly, Denver, Huntington Beach, and uh, the Wells Fargo Center was our first pro stadium partnership where we built a, a small yeah, I'm really excited to go take a look at it at some point. And so, so is the focus for you guys, you know, I know you bring the tournaments to, to you know, venues and, area and, and spaces that aren't necessarily built for gaming, but you have the ability as an infrastructure company to, to build that in. So will that always continuously be a part of the revenue stream or are you guys you know, hoping to just focus on the local hosts, uh, you know, over the next five, 10 years, depending on how many you build out? It'll always be a part of it. We want to gr greatly expand the number of local hosts. We want to build a hundred of these over the next few years. Uh, we have a few partnership models that we think we can get to that point uh, from our, you know, our fundraise, which go to building out large regional local hosts in major metropolitan areas to our retail partnerships, like our partnership with Five Below, where we can build into Five Below's space uh, uh, you know, around the country to our pro stadium partnerships like the Wells Fargo Center, to our university partnerships like we announced local host Rowan. We have a lot of avenues to scale and bring local hosts to every you know, every state uh, nationwide. Uh, but it'll take some time to get to that point. And sure. even when we are in that point, you know, it, we want to bring competitive opportunities everywhere, not just where our local hosts are. Um, but part of the vision of bringing local hosts everywhere is to provide that high quality experience and infrastructure and equipment to not just our events, but all of these other events and tournaments and and uh, you know, competitive opportunities that exist nationwide right now, giving them uh, you know the best venue possible for the amateur space. Uh, you know, a lot of competitions happen in uh, you know hotels and conference rooms and things like that, and uh, we want to provide a you know a, a space that's purpose built for this community. That's awesome. Um, Stephen, I, I want to ask you, as someone who's been in so long, been a pro player and been around the scene for a while, and you know, it's, I feel like every other day there's a new partnership, there's a new not a deck getting involved, everyone's trying to dip their toe in the water here. Five Below, I actually found to be uh, awesome. I mean, a really great uh, partner that I kind of initially wouldn't have thought of. It's another one of those brands and companies where I'm like, okay, I get it. Once I think about, you know, who they are and what their reach is, um, you know, what, what a perfect company to come in and kind of partner with and to invest in something that they believe in from a little venue space. So from someone who's been in the industry for so long, um, you know, can you talk about that relationship from a non-endemic standpoint and the overarching, uh, you know, I guess your thought on non-endemics coming into the space and how they can do it authentically? Yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense to my brain. Um, I mean, if you look at the progression of, of esports over the last, you know, I would say 18 years, um, non-endemics have always been on the fringe. I think it's the one thing where um, the companies are trying to see what fits into their, you know, their target audience. I think this is a great partnership where our target audience is the same target audience as Five Below. I mean, if you look at their, their retail chain, they're approaching 
um, a more youth-filled uh, consumer base. And I think for us, that is spot on with what we're looking to target when we talk about the progression of esports from that amateur scene to the professional scene. That same group of people they're targeting are the same people we are. Uh, providing those facilities across the United States, partnering with them will really target you know the same demographic for us, so it's just a natural partnership there. I think when you look at non-demics entering esports, they're still trying to figure out what makes the most sense for them uh, when it comes to a brand play. Uh, if you look at what recently happened in the last couple of months, um, we just left the A, but we even worked with uh, Starbucks directly to have them be the title sponsor of the Madden Classic. Um, you know, it's prevented by Nitro Cold Brew. I mean, the, the yeah. problem we're trying to market towards that demographic. Uh, if there's a logical um, commonality and synergies across the two companies, it makes total sense for them to work together. Um, I find that the reason non-endemics have not done so well, I think, in the past entering esports is they enter spaces or games or they almost come off as disingenuous when they do it. Right. Um, I think, yeah, I think that is the one thing where you'll notice it's becoming less and less uh, apparent now. Most of them are, I think, have done a really good job and learned their audience. So a lot of the newer um, partnerships are coming off as very genuine. They are targeted directly. Their advertising is done really well, where it mesh, meshes in really well with the personalities who are in this industry. Um, and I think as we progress, non-endemic partnerships and non-endemic influence and, and funds are needed for the rise of esports. Um, I, I mean, when you're playing and, and you're seeing uh, an industry rise and your, your number one sponsor is giving you a maximum, I don't know, 2,500 a month to your team, it's, it's not a really sustainable uh, long-term. Yeah. So with the insurance industries, with uh, the, the credit industry, with, with you know all these different companies coming in now to target this demographic, these people who are you know, the money audience, the, the new generations that are coming up, this is just a great place to be. And I think it makes total sense for them long-term. Uh, especially for, for somebody coming from years of a lack of funding, if you will. So I'm really excited and I'm really uh, interested to see what new partnerships, what new content can be created uh, with these partners. What is the next step? What is the next level? Sure. So expanding on, you know, the, like the partnerships conversation a little bit into the overarching world of business development where, you know, I built my career on business development. Danny, I know you have, Stephen, you have as well. Um, when you guys are looking for brands that you want to partner with right now, is it let's really, you know, pad the box with as many conversations as possible and see what we can make happen? Or are you getting reached out to directly from a you know unauthentic standpoint where you can sniff out guys who are just looking to slap a logo on an esports tournament? Or, you know, is it just is it kind of happening happening naturally where you're going to events where we see each other and you know you bump into a, a brand who's looking for exposure and a good relationship starts and the next thing you know you have a partnership i guess what what is what is the process you know from, from, you, know, you're, you guys have a, a pretty big social following you know what is the process in your guys sense? is it coming to you or do you have to go you have to go find it? Uh, it it's both um i would say you know we of course do a lot of outreach we want to be strategic uh in who we are approaching uh, and, and thoughtful in who we're approaching, but also every brand pretty much is thinking about this space. Right. Some are diving in and it, you know head first. Some are you know a little bit watching and, and taking notes, uh, but they're all trying to learn it, and that's that's what's important, right? I think there aren't really that many, if any, that are just looking to slap a logo on something. They're trying to, they know this space is hot and exciting. They're trying to, it's a little bit foreign to them. So they're trying to understand it more. And they are trying to uh, exactly not slap a logo on something. They're trying to understand you know, how they can integrate with this community and not be rejected. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, they, they of course want to do what's best for their brand. But what that means is, you know, they want they want to know, you know, how do we how do we support this community, right? That's kind of what they're getting at, because they know that if they support the community, that's the way to not be rejected. So, and by the way, guys, if you're watching, 
you guys have a, you guys have a big, big crowd checking you out right now. Um, but if you've got questions for these guys, hammer away at them, and we'll get into questions here. Uh, make, them, make them difficult uh, for these guys in the spot. Um, so when you're talking about, I guess there really hasn't been a script for brands and partnerships being involved in the space from my point of view, from you know, KitKat to Five Below to Starbucks, there there just doesn't really seem to be a straight line. It from your point of view, is there an industry right now that you think um, might be lacking or uh, playing a slow role uh, when getting involved in gaming that you'd like to see more active? Oh, that was a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if it's if it's separated by industry. It's a good question. Um, I'm so from the, from the looks on both of your faces. I'm. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, of course, the the brands that are a little bit more of a natural fit are the ones that see that it's in like sort of like the pop culture brands sure. are the ones that see that fit and they're like, yeah, we know we need to be in this space. Let's dive in and we'll figure it out along the way. Uh, the kind of more conservative brands, you know, that, 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 I would say that's what it is. The, the more conservative brands that uh, re really like the red blood, it, right? That's something that if you are scared off from being involved in that, you're going to, uh, you know, you, you, you'll do Madden or you, you do Smash, things like that, but you're not going to dive in head first. You're going to make sure that you're not, uh, you know, you're not doing anything that's going to you know, cause an uproar, right? Uh, right. That, that's, that, so it, it doesn't necessarily stick to one industry. Um, but yeah, I would say just the uh, and, and more, more I think about it, it is a tricky question. I think about it from my standpoint, right, where I'm with Roundville Investments, the financial we're financial services we have a product that's geared toward gaming and we want to get involved in some unique ways what is that product Eric? tell us about that product <laughs> uh, it was so funny kimmel came up to me uh and billy he was like dude you stuck our ticker <laughs> <laughs> um but you know we but like i think about from a financial services standpoint like from my point of view i'd like to see more you know, more banks and financial services organizations get involved here because I'm starting to get more targeted on Instagram and stuff where like I saw DK Metcalf the other day do a collaboration with Charles Schwab for a cooking commercial. I'm like, gosh, like this is all kind of really exciting stuff. And But then again, I know, I know, you know, I saw, uh, I think Chase did something with the Golden State Warriors uh, NBA 2K team. So it, it's it's a slow roll, but I know at some point financial services will need to figure out a way to get integrated here and how that happens. I'm not entirely sure. I'm, not, I'm going to go off my own tangent now, but I just think it, when it comes down to it, my, uh, another follow-up question I have is that do you think there will be a time where brands who have initially been rejecting esports from a violence standpoint uh, – and they're like, we can't fight this anymore. This is where the puck is going. The Call of Duty League is off the charts. It's getting all these viewers. We have to get involved here. And they're like, you know, they change up their own core values to, to pivot to gaming. I don't think that companies will necessarily change their core values, but uh, they, they'll they either understand it more and accept that, that there's a difference between you know, video game violence and, and real life violence, or they'll stay on the sidelines and say, that's not for us, we'll find another route. And actually, so it was just yesterday, right, that YouTube Gaming announced that they're changing their rules on how they approach video game violence. Uh, and so something like that can be a, a, huge, a, a, a huge shift in just how culture talks about video game violence in general yeah. and the understanding uh you know kind of looking at it the same way our community looks at it um so i'm that's actually really timely right um and i'm interested to see how that has an effect i took a red eye from the la yesterday so i was pretty pretty zombie status all day yesterday. i didn't see what happened to you 
Yeah, so I was just seeing tweets, of, like start to tweet about it yesterday. Um, and they put out a, uh, a whole, a whole like set, set of uh, kind of rule changes about looking at, looking at video. They, they said, we understand video game violence is different from real life violence. Uh, and so we're gonna adjust what we allow to be shown on, on YouTube um, specific to, to, to gaming. So I thought that was a pretty pretty huge announcement, actually. That's awesome. Um, just for this audience, because there's a lot of people that I know are trying to break into the community. Danny, you don't come from uh, gaming per se. Uh, Steve, you have a lifelong career in gaming. Um, from a professional standpoint, now, you know, obviously being where you are uh, with Nerdstream, from a, I want to get both of your point of view question. When breaking into the esports, um, you know, Steve, when you look at a guy like Danny who's coming in who doesn't have the experience you have, what are what are some what are some things that you hope to see from from the Dannys of the world who are trying to break into this industry that might not have the experience that you have? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think an open mind is always the key. Um, I've now worked. A lot of places that um, I would call it the non-endemic esports uh, organizations, like EA, for instance. People think it's a you know it's a gaming company, but esports is only I don't know four or five years old at the company now as a separate entity. So out of like the employees that I worked with, I would say maybe five out of the forty uh, had come from a gaming background, a true esports background. Most people are coming from different departments, and people are coming from different industries uh, with interest. And you can definitely feel uh, the passion somebody has for the subject matter, uh, even if it's not so much that they care for the game the same way you do. They don't, you know, they don't have a passion that is deep seated in the growth of the game. But so, like everybody has a passion, and if you can make gaming and esports a passion for you, and you can you can feel like if they can convey that that is something you want to do, even if you don't know the you know terms of the game, even if you don't know the X's and O's of the actual game itself, that comes off as genuine and it's easily accepted that you truly care about the subject matter, as opposed to coming in with high and mighty thoughts that you know you know everything and that's that always is an off-putting thing, regardless of the topic or the subject matter you're talking about. So I always tell anybody coming into the space, keep an open mind. Um, you know, no, like you know, just be honest with people around you if you don't know something, say it. Nobody's gonna bite your head off if you don't know it. Um, I think portraying a lack of, you know, a high knowledge base, but then getting called out, or you would say, as somebody who doesn't actually know, is, is worse than coming in and saying, hey, I don't know this space and I'm really interested in teaching. Because most people are interested in teaching. I mean, this industry has grown from a communal gaming where people brought computers and consoles to a hotel ballroom, uh, you know, literally 24 hours at a hotel ballroom for a weekend. And that's, that's where this industry spawned from. So. Most people are friendly. There's still a community aspect to this. In the same way that sports and other um, you know activities have community, esports is a big one. So if you make yourself part of it, you'll be accepted. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and because Danny, I want to get your thoughts on, on this too from your point of view. But you know, I, I come from the NFL, right, where I was certainly on the outside looking in, and uh, you know, like Call of Duty and Gears of War and Madden are, are where, where my games growing up. It's, it's basic um but you know i remember uh you know sitting down my first live overwatch <laughs> event and i'm like i am in trouble here i have no idea what's going on but i think about it from from like a football point of view if, you know i talk to guys who don't understand football and I'm, i get jacked up to talk about it and then once you realize that when you ask somebody a question about overwatch and they're they're receptive to it they just want to teach right it, 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 i think in this industry it's very unique is that while there is a lot of competition, it's still kind of the over the last, like you said, like eight or nine years, it's the new kid on the block a little bit. So while there's competition, while you guys have competitors and FaZe has competitors, everyone needs everyone to succeed because the industry needs to advance. So it's kind of a little bit of that double-edged sword. Danny, when you are you know coming from outside of the industry and, and coming in, I guess, what has the transition been like for you? And then, you know, now that you're in the space, what are you looking for in guys that you hire um, from, you know, a gaming perspective and also, you know, non-endemic perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a couple of different avenues depending on where you are in your career. 
Um, if you're, you know, sort of at the entry level ground floor looking to, to get into this industry, it's the same as, you know, the, the stories of kind of everybody breaking into any industry. It's you find any opportunity you can get to get some relevant experience in that company, in a, in a company, uh, and you take it and you try to work your way up and you try to grow those skills and learn as much as you can and, you know, work hard and, and, and work your way up. Uh, the other side of it and sort of, you know, uh, where, what we've seen a lot at Nerd Street over, you know, the past year um, is, you know, we need to scale and scale nationally and scale, scale quickly. And uh, there are, you know, the, the types of folks that we need, it, it's just relevant transferable skills to the industry, right? If you're a business development leader that has significant sales experience selling to non-endemic brands and managing a team, that works in esports the same way it works in, in other industries. Uh, you know, finance and accounting and marketing, uh, you know, those are event management, venue management. It's Those are transferable skills that don't necessarily have to have endemic experience to esports. And those are skills that a company like us that are looking for, you know, uh, leaders and experienced folks uh, with a lot of experience in what they know how to do that can bring that to this growing young company and industry. That's what we need as a company and what this industry needs to, you know, to, to, to grow up and to level up. You know, one thing I tell a lot of guys who, who reached out to me in regards to getting sports and, and creating their own personal what what are my avenues? Right? How can I how can I break in here? And like, sales is is uh, is vital across any industry, but it's certainly uh, key in in esports. But like being able to sell yourself, right? Like being able to reach out to you directly, to both of you guys who are leaders in this industry, and you know to, to show your authenticity. I think it's the ultimate sales. Right? That's the ultimate resume boost. When you Somebody can hop on the phone with someone like you, Steven, and, and it might not be from the industry, but show a genuine interest in why they want to come in here. And, and like you said, not going to come in high and mighty is, I think, one of the keys when showing your value in the space. Because if you can sell yourself to somebody who's already in the industry um, and, and show why you want to why you want to break in and why you want to provide value, I think that's the ultimate sales pitch. You, know, you guys are thinking about your product you're like okay he sold me on himself you know you can probably sell what we're trying to sell here so that's one thing that i continue to tell like guys who are trying to break into the non-endemic standpoint like, you know the first reach out to, to the guys in the industry is your is really your resume you can sell yourself and sell and sell your authenticity you know you're you're gonna do you're gonna do pretty well in this space and i would just add you also have to do your homework right um but, yeah. That's huge. Sure, I align on that one. <laughs> and uh, you know, this sales in general, but you know, particularly in this in this industry, because of how young it is, it's so much about relationships. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, you, you got to do homework. So then, I want to dive into some questions here, and and. and with some of the people who are tuning in. We got Charlie Conroy uh, who's saying hello to everyone. He said, what's up, Steve? Um, we got some guys from down in Atlanta, Marshall Garrison, Chris Kistick, Westy Hayford, who's over in Ghana, always chiming in. Uh, Rob Gonzalez saying hello to you guys. Uh, my good friend Jacob of Toronto saying hello. First question today I got from Chris Kisak over in the UK. There's a lot of talk in the industry how uh, how NA is lagging behind in some areas of esports in North America. But what do you feel North America is doing better than other regions? Sweet, I got to go with that. Um, so I think. If you look at North America, um, obviously very different than Europe and other regions um, based on size, I would say. So having obviously a very massive country when it comes to uh, size, having a different perspective, I would say as a whole country, we have such different uh, backgrounds and different uh, industries, different regions. Esports as a whole has taken over the country. 
The one thing that we do really well, I believe, is I think our collegiate programs are a little more um, advanced, and I think we're getting to that level where if you look at sports and the professionalization of sports, football, uh, hockey, uh, any any of these sports that have a infrastructure play that go towards you know professional, we've done a really good job, I think, of starting up our collegiate programs in the United States, um, especially high school programs. Like Playverse is really taking off. Um, when I was looking at programs for electronic arts point of view, there's multiple different organizations, CSL, NACE, you have now actual conferences like the ECAC approaching esports uh, directly. And I think that's something that stands out significantly compared to the other regions in the world is that I think when we think esports as that progression from youth to professional, I think we're heading in that aspect. I think we're gonna beat everybody to the, to the punch when it comes to having that, I'm, I'm going from you know Little League to Major League, that is something I think we're ahead of compared to everybody else. Uh, I think we, Need to keep leaning on that. I think, from a publisher point of view, that's something that entices publishers, um, and I think I think that's where we kind of are right now ahead. Interesting. And I would uh, I would also throw out there that, and this isn't necessarily where we're ahead, but something that is differentiating us, and we'll see how it goes over the next few years, is that regional franchise model that you know the Overwatch League and Call of Duty League are, are going with. And uh, you know, particularly over the next couple of years, as these franchises move to their local regions, how what the effect has on those leagues, on those teams, on those markets, on their valuations, uh, that'll be really interesting to see. And then when you pair that with the colleges, all the universities that are getting involved, and we can see more of these interactions between universities and pro teams. Like I saw, you know, Gen G does stuff with University of Kentucky, Stanford invested in Gen G. Uh, not a regional uh, franchise, but but still, um, that'll be that'll be something to watch in the space. That's something that NA is sort of doing differently, um, and it'll create a different environment. Um, and you know, I, I think so far, you know, like Forbes came out with their most uh, the, their valuation rankings of pro esports teams, the top 10 were all non-regionalized, non-location-based teams. Sure. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that regionalization has an effect on that. Um, and if it's a, you know, an asset or if it kind of, you know, detracts, we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes, but it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. And it's something we're excited about. You know, it's all these teams are, uh, you know, moving to these locations and, Looking for footprints and facilities and running events, uh, and that is, that's exactly you know the, the space that we're in and, and you know, places that we can help. Love it. So this is a question more uh, nursery related. Uh, I'm in Charlie Conroy. Steve has a long history in esports. I remember when uh, I remember him when he was bragging guys in sports in Direct TV days. Uh, interested to hear if he has an idea for an inner nerd street mobilized amateur league. What does that structure look like? Yeah, I definitely think that's uh, so. As a product, uh, nerd street, we have the National Championship Series, and it's it's a program that essentially is trying to bring the amateur to the professional. Uh, it's a program that we work with a lot of third parties to throw tournaments in different regions. Um, we have facilities in four regions, but obviously. Um, we really need other partners to get out there. In the last year, we did a really good job of that. Of entering, you know, Arlington, Texas, with the esports stadium. We were in Chicago with Ignite. Um, we're in DC with Gex. We want to be everywhere uh, and using these third parties and partnering with them and building this structure. I think long term, our goal is to really push that regionalization. It's what I talked about earlier. Uh, having facilities, hopefully, in you know, twelve major cities in the United States, it opens up an opportunity that no one else is able to do right now. Um, having that ability for the youth to drive, you know, that 40 minutes to come compete in a league or an event similar to uh, youth sports or even adult sports, you know, what if Wednesday night, you know, at 7 p.m., you know, that everybody's playing in this, this land league that has never been done before. That's something that really entices me and something that I really want to progress towards. Um, I think always the stigma that someone's cheating you online, that you think somebody is playing you know, under an advantage that you don't have, is taking 
morning when everybody comes to a facility. Uh, that's why land tournaments were always so big back in the day. We used to not know if the person across the computer screen was using some illegitimate way to get an advantage over me. And then until somebody would come in person, we would think they were, you know, the moniker of that guy cheats is always something that would always, you know, everybody's got an ego. You're always telling yourself, oh, that's no way that guy's better than me. When you see him in person, he's better than you. It's a whole different experience. So I, long term, I think our vision is to have the infrastructure so we can do those little blind slide leagues that Charlie's talking about. Um, I think it's also something that when you look at it from a publisher point of view, if, it, if the company has 15 lands, centers, gaming centers around the United States available, it opens up an opportunity that's never been realized before. Um, when a game kicks off, under the example of Madden, let's say Madden kicks off in August, having the ability to run 15 simultaneous Madden tournaments at facilities with the same standard is something that's not been done before. Um, it's a really big opportunity. It's something that publishers want to get towards. I think that is where we come in. And I think that's where we're going towards. We want to have that opportunity to produce land leagues and produce activations at those scale. Uh, so I think those are two of the pillars that we're really pushing towards. Your, your move, after seeing some uh, life from the publisher side for a bit, your move back is making so much sense. You're just going to apply everything that you've seen, all the, all the gaps that are missing. You're, you're just going to take nursery right to all those gaps, aren't you? <laughs> um, Danny, I think this one's probably geared a little bit more towards you uh, from my man Jacob up in Toronto. If you guys are looking for great young talent, this guy, Jacob, is as sharp as it gets. Um, recently, Zippo had, in my opinion, one of the worst partnerships with NRG over creating a hand warmer battery pack. Unimaginative, boring, overall lacking passion for both org and the scene. How can we counter or avoid slapping the logo on something without turning down these major brands? Woo! Yeah, so that's, I, I, I feel like it's a tough one, right? Um, there's no magic bullet there. Um, I, I feel like it is the, it, it's a little bit on the, what's the focus of the campaign right is the focus on the, of the campaign on the audience or is it on the product if it's on the product you product the audience is going to sense that and you know you're, you're probably going to miss if it's on the you know on the audience and supporting the audience and then you know they're going to know that your product is involved that your brand is involved and that's that's the goal there um, so I would, I, I think that that's sort of the sense that I get is, you know, if you're forgetting about the audience and focus on a new product, um, the audience is going to feel forgotten. It right out. Yeah, I, I, I feel that too, where it's like we're partnering here to push a product, right? You know, where like I go back to what really what Charles Schwab did. Obviously, DK Metcalf is a great sell to me because he's an old Miss Rebel and, and that, that that hit home to me, but just basically it was him about his post NFL career wanting to be a chef. And it was just him cooking. It had nothing to do with Charles Schwab. It was nothing to do with anything. Well, they weren't pushing their product. They were just having a genuine conversation about the future goals. So I just think, you know, when you talk about brand getting involved, it's perfect, not about the product type of thing. So it's like, you know, these brands coming into esports, they're like, okay, sometimes I feel like they see this giant social problem. Right, it's it's you know, massive Twitter presence, Instagram and Twitch. And they're like, we need to get our stuff in there. You know, we need to like force it in your face. And that's where I think you know consumers, especially on the gaming side of things, are like, I can see you from a mile away, man. Like I, I know what this looks like. You know, and that's just not gonna that's not gonna land. So, yeah. advertising it's about awareness, right? So that when that that potential customer is considering your product or products like yours, they'll know your brand, and when they're doing their research, you'll be on that list of products that they'll do. They'll yeah. Do. Um, this is a good question for you guys. Dan Stanley from New Jersey Esports. Uh, how would you see local high schools and municip uh, municipalities fundraising for the purpose of providing their own infrastructure, just like football, baseball, et cetera? Each team has their own center. How long until we get to that point? Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
uh, how long until we get to, what was the end of that? Until, until how long we get to that point? Where high schools and municipalities will invest into their own infrastructure? I think we're already starting to see it. A little bit, yeah. I was going to say, I think, you know, like internet speed is probably the biggest hang up, right? I mean, there, there's plenty of infrastructure, but schools investing in the internet speed that, that high school programs need is probably, probably where the biggest lack is, right? Yeah, they're all they're all asking the question, right? And I think the 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 risk is that you don't do it the right way, and it doesn't convince the all the stakeholders that need to be convinced that this is a valuable thing, that this is actually positive, right? Throwing some computers in a room and saying this is our esports room and letting letting the kids have free reign and not giving any direction or programming or support or understanding of what's going on, uh, you know, it, it's going to scare off the parents. It's going to scare off a lot of the, you know, the teachers and a lot of people that we need their support. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not just about internet and computers. It's about that programming and that support and, uh, you know, bringing people together and social interactions and all the intangible skills that we get from, Traditional sports and esports, communication, leadership, uh, teamwork, and uh, you know, empowering. The, the exciting thing is, you know, the, the kids know this space more than the adults, and so they have to listen. Uh, and empowering those kids, but not just giving free reign. Um, and so it's it's a lot about the programming, which takes understanding and planning, uh, and you know, it, it's a process. So it's good. We're definitely starting to see. That all those you know, the high schools and municipalities uh, you know, start to do that learning and start to invest, uh, but that it's going to be it's going to be a, little, a bit of a long term process. Yeah, I can speak to that a little too. I think we're at least five to ten years away from it being um, rampant. I would say that the one thing you notice about sports and um, high school sports and even youth sports is the one thing that everybody needs the most is a coach. Somebody can be directing a program or a figurehead that actually is knowledgeable about this to instill knowledge to others. I still think we're in an infancy of esports where there's not even enough potential coaches to take on programs sure. in municipalities or in high schools or even, even across the country. Um, I think that is one thing where Danny speaks to exactly is spot on where if a school district decides to invest in 40 computers and monitors and a room on campus, um, without proper direction or right, the proper figurehead to run the program. Really, it's just a computer lab at that point, and they already have those, so there's really no uh, difference until you start bringing in people who understand the space, until you have an athletic director or even a school district that treats it as if it really is an activity and a sport. Uh, I think esports to me always spoke really well because as I got older and I finished high school and went to college, like, I knew I was never going to play college baseball. I knew I was never going to progress in sports that way. But esports always had the competition side that I yearned for. Uh, the values that you learn through traditional sports of leadership and, and humility and being able to lose and all the things that I think make you a better person, uh, esports can bring to a group of people who are not interested in sports. And I think that needs to be sold to those school districts and to those municipalities that really will push it over the edge to that next level. Uh, but I really do think. Lack of lack of coaches is really the biggest problem right now in that uh, activity. I was gonna say, get, get, you know, it's some uh, some high schools have a football team, others don't. I think gaming is so universal, right? Every every school, every high school can argue to have an esports program, and that's a lot more coaches than, than football, basketball, baseball coaches. So it's a great point um, where you know it kind of starts with the leadership. You need someone to at least run the show here, and you have to imagine that a lot of uh, front office high schools are just like, like, what do we do here? Does anyone want to run this, or are we just going to like, you know, let the kids do it? <laughs> yeah. um, this is a good question uh, before you know you guys can do uh, a little promotion for what you guys have coming up. Uh, it's from Marshall Garrison, and I'm going to change the question a little bit to just like to, to, it's a two-part question. I'm going to make it into one. Uh, his question is, are there regions or areas that uh, you guys believe are a little more receptive to esports uh, than others? And, you know, I think the ultimate question, like maybe areas that you guys are targeting 
at, at Nerd Street that you're interested in expanding into, um, or is it you know who's who's looking to have you? And then when doing that, I know you guys are are building out a team. Is it helpful to have guys that are familiar with the area, or are you looking to go just you know harbor those relationships from the corporate office of Nerd Street and go build that relationship in each of those areas? That's kind of a long question. Good luck. <laughs> Yeah, um, so what was the question again? <laughs> uh, I think that it's it's a combination of all of that. Uh, so, you know, one, in terms of areas that are receptive to esports right now that we're going after hard, I mean, you know, uh, of course the major metropolitan areas and the, the big cities are going to be where a lot of gamers live and it, in, in terms of just density. Um, so that is a, that's a big target of ours, but uh, you know tertiary markets work particularly when there are universities and high schools um, that provides a lot of the, those that density. And those universities in particular right now are become, you know receptive to esports and embracing it, and uh, that's an you know an exciting opportunity for us. They universities, you know, they're all going about it differently. Same as brands, they're trying to figure it out. They're putting their toe in the water. Some are diving in head first. Others are kind of watching from afar and waiting their way in. They're all go through sort of the same process of, you know, we have this club team. Let's make it official. Let's make it a varsity program. Do we want to give scholarships? Do we want to build a team practice facility, coaches? And then what's next? How do we engage our local community? How do we use this to recruit? How do we build the best program possible? Do we want it to be a program that wins? Do we want it to be a program that creates quality content? What are our goals here? Um, so that's something that, you know, and then uh, particularly, you know, our university partnerships are a really exciting one to, to help them through that process and take that sort of next leap forward once they have a team and a program uh, to, to take that next leap to provide the best quality infrastructure and experience to engage their student body and their community but also to teach esports. You know, it's the, the pro player is the 1%, but there's this entire growing industry around esports that have and need a lot of those relevant transferable skills. So universities can teach media and sports management and hospitality through the lens of esports by having this facility and these, these events and tournaments there on campus. Uh, so that's definitely a big you know, target and opportunity of ours because the fit makes sense and because they are receptive and, and jumping into the esports world right now. Um, and then when we, you know, in terms of what we need as a company, whether it's people that know that region or, uh, you know, work from sort of our headquarters, it, it's a combination of both. Um, you know, as, as we grow and as we scale, um, we need you know, we're going to have local hosts in every region and we're going to need local host gms there on site to run those facilities uh, and we're going to be either we're either going to need to you know recruit and send people out or recruit from those regions and ideally you know it's always better when we can build a facility with partners on the ground that know that community and know that region and know the partners know the organizers know the schools uh, that is that's incredibly valuable, and that's definitely the, the priority. I would say. I love it. So if you guys like tomorrow build up a local host in any city. Both of you have to have an answer. Your dream location. Either of you have a, have a thought, might a city that you know you want to tackle that you know has the opportunity to you. It's uh, it's pretty cold right now, so Miami or San Diego would, uh, would be pretty. That'd be nice. Yeah, I, I think mine is actually Phoenix, Arizona. Um, oh, I think very cool. It's prime. Um, Phoenix is growing at a rapid rate. Um, I think it's one of the areas that we'd love to be in soon. Um, awesome. Very cool. Uh, great. Well, well, we'll shut it down, give everyone their morning back. Um, if anyone wants to touch base with you guys, follow you guys, Anything, you know, events coming up that you want to promote, now's your window. Get, get after it. Yeah, so uh, so I'll, I'll let Steve talk about our NCS 
grand finals that we have coming up, I would say, you know, mostly if you want to stay tuned to what we're doing, follow us on social, both our Nerd Street Gamers social, our local host social, which is our, you know, our facilities as we bring a new local host to your region. That's where you can find out about it and, you know, stay tuned because there'll be one in your region soon. Um, and then for tournaments, in-person competitions, um, you know, check out the, the National Championship Series, NSG.GG. We've got our, our grand finals uh, for the year coming up this month, uh, this weekend, next weekend. You know, talk about this. Yeah, so uh, we're running three different grand finals for three different titles, uh, Overwatch, StarCraft II, and Counter-Strike uh, in multiple cities. So Overwatch taking place on the beach at the Ultimate Media Ventures uh, facility. Uh, we are running StarCraft at Longhost in uh, off of their street. So if you want to stop by there, and we're running uh, Fragadelphia 14, the National Championship Series Counter-Strike Grand Finals at uh, 401 North Broad in Philadelphia. So at the same weekend, we're running three simultaneous tournaments on three different Twitch channels. So if you like content in any one of those genres, we have it for you. There you go. There, there you go. The, to, to the crowd, there's, there's opportunity there. I got Christy St. Martin blowing up the chat about how much she loves Fragadelphia. So. Uh, you guys are up to some great stuff. Congratulations on all the success. It's been great getting to know you guys over the past couple months. Um, yeah, guys, you should definitely follow their socials. They're always up to, to fun stuff. John Fazio is a great leader. Um, congrats on everything you're working on. And I wish you both nothing but the best. And I can't imagine it'll be long before our, our paths cross. Thanks so much. All righty, boys. Take care.